Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. We rely on the generosity of our listeners to sustain this ministry and the message of Messianic Judaism for all nations. Please consider making a donation to Beth Emanuel by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Genesis 6-9 What does it mean to walk with God? The Torah describes Noah as a righteous man, a tzaddik. It describes him as a blameless man in his time. It describes him as one who walked with God. These three descriptions are closely related. I would put it this way. The Torah considers Noah a righteous man because he was blameless. And he was blameless in his time because he walked with God. In Noah's day, humanity was broken. The human species had gone insane. The earth was filled with murder and violence, corruption and deceit and immorality. Imagine a criminal at large who had committed murder and acts of violence, a man given to fits of violent rage, who was also guilty of robbery and theft and rape. We would want the police to arrest this person. I would want him put in prison or put to death, not just because he deserves the punishment, but because he's a danger to the world. This is what it says in our Torah portion. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Genesis 9.6 But that description of such a reprehensible criminal describes the whole human race. If we look at humanity as a whole, the history of the species is exactly as I have described it. Consider our history of war, conquest, abuse, misuse, and self-destruction. We are a self-destructive species. If you were an alien studying human beings, you would have to conclude that the whole human race is insane. In Noah's day, it had reached the point where the criminal needed to be arrested, and honestly, it's not better in our day. The Torah says that God regretted having made humanity, not because we were so offensive to him, but because of what we do to each other. It grieves God's heart. But then there was Noah. Noah walked with God and he saved the world. Life continues on the merit of one man who walked with God. We are living in the days of Noah. Our master tells us that the days of the Son of Man will be as the days of Noah. The only question is, are we part of the insane human race, or are we like Noah, who walked with God? What does it mean to walk with God? In last week's Torah portion, we learned that before the sin, Adam and Eve walked with God in Eden in the cool of the day. We also met Noah's great-grandfather Enoch, of whom the Torah said, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5.24 And in next week's Torah portion, Hashem appears to Abraham and says to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Be blameless. How was a person supposed to go about being blameless? Was Noah really blameless? Was Abraham sinless? 
No, it doesn't mean sinless. The Hebrew word translated here as blameless is tamim, the same word we use to describe an animal fit for sacrifice as unblemished. It doesn't mean sinless. As the apostles tell us, all have sinned and fallen short, and if anyone says he's without sin, the truth is not in him. Instead, I think we could translate tamim as wholeness. Noah was a whole man. Nothing was missing from his person and his being. Nothing was false in him. To be whole, in this sense, means you are fulfilling your soul's mission. It means Noah was living up to his godly potential. He wasn't perfect. He was as human as you or I. But he was doing his job as a person, fulfilling his mission of representing Hashem within the created order made in the image of God. That's who we are supposed to be. And isn't that the thing for which we all innately long? It's the answer to that nagging inner feeling that something is amiss. It's the reason we are always looking for this wholeness in other people and being disappointed in relationship after relationship because that wholeness can only come from within, not from without. It's to be a person consistent with the inner person we feel we should be in God's eyes. This is a person filled with the fruit of God's spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. Another word to describe the tamim person is contentment. This is a person contented in God. As Paul says to Timothy, But godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. 1 Timothy 6, 6-8 But instead, we are carried along by the insanity of being human and the constant need to fill the appetites and satisfy the ego. In small and big ways, we are swept along with what Paul calls the deeds of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. It's insanity. We long to be tamim, and we long to be in relationship with people who are tamim, people who are natural and at ease in their skin because they have nothing to hide and no ego to protect. Such a person is rare because the self obstructs the vision. We are blemished and incomplete when we think of ourselves outside of God, when we forget God and conduct ourselves according to the concerns of the ego. But a tamim person is what could be called a godly person. A person that seems so natural and unconcerned with the self because he or she is so full of God's presence. I'd love to be that person because I love to be around people like that. And if I'm going to be stuck being around me for any further length of time, it would be delightful to become a person I'd like to be around. What's the trick? The trick is that we have to learn to walk with God. How can you and I learn to walk with God, get on the boat, escape the flood? I want to become a person 
who walks with God. Could there be a better epitaph? Is there a higher goal? I don't think so. But so much as I know about myself, I am far from that goal. So this question concerns me, not just on a theological level, but on a very practical level. And the question also concerns me as an elder and teacher in the community of Beth Emmanuel. I want our community to be composed of people who walk with God. Our many problems and much unhappiness could be dispelled if we learned to walk with God. We don't need to be stuck in life, wallowing around in personal problems, disappointments, and desires. It's possible to walk with God and to be tamim, whole. I'm going to approach this question from a few different angles. At first, it might sound heady and impractical, but we're going to keep at it until we figure out how to do it and then we're going to stick with it. I don't expect that we are going to suddenly, after hearing a few teachings on the subject, all of a sudden become tzadikim, blameless in our time. But with patience and persistence, we can develop a new habit, the habit of walking with God. So how do we walk with God? In, in the biblical idiom, one's walk refers to the course of one's conduct in, conduct in life. It's the basis of the legal term halakha, which, uh, a word which literally means walk, the walk, and figuratively refers to how one walks out God's commandments as Moses enjoins us to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, Deuteronomy 30.16. Therefore, you might be forgiven for supposing that to walk with God simply means to keep his commandments, statutes, and judgments. It certainly does entail that, but that's not it. I think it would be possible to be religiously Torah observant and far from God, just as a person could religiously observe all the laws of the United States of America, never so much as pushing a yellow, and yet be far from a patriot. You might not even be an American. The analogy does not quite hold up because the Torah actually commands us to love God to fear him, to cleave to him, and to walk in his ways. Those are commandments too. But even the sages made a distinction between walking in the ways of God and keeping the commandments. The sages explained that to walk in God's ways means to imitate him in the practice of godliness. Last week, Rabbi Schiffman offered an example of walking in the ways of God from the Torah portion. He told us about how Adam and Eve realized they were naked after eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and they felt ashamed. What did they do? They tried unsuccessfully to cover themselves. What did God do? He made garments of skin to clothe them, just as God clothed Adam and Eve so they would not be naked. Likewise, we should be concerned for those who are in need of basic human necessities. We should clothe the naked. That's an example of walking in the ways of God. The Talmud offers several more examples. Just as God visited Abraham when he was convalescing, so too we should visit the sick to encourage them. Just as God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness, so too we should feed the hungry. Just as God attended to the body of Moses and buried him, so too we should attend to the dead. The sages understood walking in God's ways to refer to following God's example. If God is merciful, we too should be merciful. If God is just, we too should be fair and just. If God is compassionate, we too should be compassionate. 
the imitation of the deity encompasses the commandments of the Torah and transcends the commandments. It goes beyond the letter of the law or any rote observance to reach the spirit of the Torah, the intention behind the commandments, which is to bring godliness into this world. That's how the sages understood the concept of walking in the ways of God. And it describes our master's mode of life. So then, is the imitation of God what it means to walk with God? We are getting closer, but that's not yet quite it. That's an aspect of it, for sure, just as observing the Torah's commandments is an aspect of walking with God. But these things are the results of walking with God, not the means to it. Imagine there was a commoner who desired to walk with the king. What did he do? He studied everything he could learn about the king, about aristocratic formalities and customs, the royal household and all of its ways. He did his best to conduct himself as if he were a member of the court, and he observed all of the king's laws. Was he walking with the king? No. Now imagine there was a commoner who actually walked with the king. What did he do? Out of fear for the king, and love for the king. He did the same as the other man, not in order to walk with the king, but because he was walking with the king. That's the difference. The Torah pairs walking in God's ways with the obligation to fear God, to love God, and cleave God. Deuteronomy 8.6 says, to walk in his ways and to fear him. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And Deuteronomy 11.22 says, To love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and cleave to him. From this we derive that to walk in God's ways and to walk with God involves the love of God, the fear of God, and clinging to God or cleaving to God. Let's consider each just briefly. To love God with all heart, soul, strength is the greatest of the commandments on which all the other commandments are hanging. But what does it mean to love God? It means to serve Him, not out of obligation, but out of desire. To love God is to reflect back to Him His love for us, to desire to know Him more and more, and to draw ever closer to Him in thought, speech, and deed, with our minds, with our lives, with our resources. To fear God is to know that He exists, that He is watching and ever-present, that He sees even our innermost thoughts, and that He punishes sin and He rewards righteousness. One who fears God keeps God in mind constantly, never imagining that God is not present with him. To cleave to God is to cling to his presence. The sages say that we do this through cleaving to the godly by clinging to the tzaddik. For example, in our Torah portion, the three sons of Noah are saved not on the merit of their own virtue, but because they cling to godly Noah. For us as disciples of Yeshua, to cleave to God means to cleave to our Master Yeshua through whom God has been revealed to us, gluing ourselves to Him by making Him the most important thing in our lives, the only thing that matters, the center of our being. And since He is in the Father and the Father in Him, if we are cleaving to Yeshua, through Him we cleave to God. Ultimately, to walk with God 
involves the constant exercise of these three things, the love of God, the fear of God, and cleaving to God. We could call it godliness. This question reminds me of that sermon by the 18th century German pietist Gerhard Terstegen titled True Godliness. I first encountered Terstegen while researching Paul Philip Levertov, and I was so impressed with his insights that I condensed some of his teachings into sermons of my own. Some of you have been part of the community long enough to remember. In the discourse True Godliness, Terstegen attempts to define true godliness by eliminating those things which it cannot be. He determines it cannot be anything which the ungodly and the hypocrite have in common. Therefore, it does not consist of refraining from vices, or refraining from coarse language, or forbidden sins, or through affecting a certain disposition, or through attending outward ceremonies, religious disciplines, rituals, and functions. Nor can it consist of anything which some godly men have possessed but others have not, such as the ability to prophesy or perform miracles or to shine light into divine mysteries. Nor can it consist of things that all the pious possess, but not at all times, such as spiritual consolations, inner promptings, moments of spiritual bliss, rapture in prayer, answers to prayer, divine communication, ecstatic moments of enthusiasm, or spiritual inspiration and excitement. Having thus eliminated all aspects of what we might consider our religious duty and experience, Terstegen asks, Wherein does true godliness consist? He goes on to describe an experience of the awareness of the soul in the presence of God, of the soul venerating God, of an inward knowledge and vision of God. He says that the whole heart is, as it were, blissfully taken captive and entirely made willing to detach and turn away by thorough self-denial all its desires, pleasure, joy, and delight and its whole affection from itself, all that is not God, and to direct and fix its affection, all upon this alone all-worthy object, to love him solely, and to cleave unto him with the heart and soul and mind and strength, and to love nothing outside of him which cannot be truly loved in him, the ungodly person is one who is detached from God and cleaves to himself and the creature. A godly man is one who is detached from himself and the creature and adheres to God with all affection. His whole heart says to all that is not God, I am not for you and you are not for me. You are not the object of my desire. I can do without you all. God alone is sufficient. He is my treasure. He is my all. He is the center of my affections. In him alone I have enough. Ter Stegen's words sound lovely. As I mentioned, he was a big inspiration for the Messianic Jewish mystic Paul Levertov. I think that in Ter Stegen, Levertov discovered a Christian analog to Jewish mysticism. But how does one accomplish Ter Stegen's prescription? How does one cleave continually to God in such radical abandonment to fall under his absolute sway? The problem reminds me of countless times when I have read some similar sentiment in a holy book and become inspired. I think to myself, by gum, that's it. 
I'm going to be a godly person now. But the resolution fails almost as soon as I've closed the book. Let me read a little bit more from Terstegen. The true godly person embraces this lovely being with all the powers of his love and seeks in him alone pleasure, joy, consolation, and delight. He cleaves unto him in his inmost soul. He immerses himself in him until at length, after every intervention and partition of sin and self-love is cleared away by the exercise of great fidelity and patient endurance and through the powerful operation of the grace of God, he becomes entirely one with God, or one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 This, taken together, is otherwise called in Scripture, walking before God, or in his presence, and is in reality nothing else than true godliness, the true service of God, or real religion, in which Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and all the saints and prophets of the Old Testament, as well as Jesus Christ our Savior and forerunner, together with the apostles, primitive Christians, and all his true followers in every age, have served God. So to recapitulate, according to Terstegen, walking with God and godliness are the same thing. And they consist not of any certain religious behavior, habit of study, observance of laws, social deportment, disposition, nor of certain acts of merit and charity. Instead, all of those things are the fruit of the essential thing, which is to constantly cleave to the presence of God, keeping him ever fixed before us, in every circumstance, in every moment, continually shedding the self in the divine presence of the Most High. This is what it means to walk with God. Obviously, it's easier said than done, and it wasn't even that easily said. It's not enough to just say it once and move on to the next teaching or the next interesting thought. This is our purpose in life. It's our mission. It was our master's mission, and it's the mission he has entrusted to us. There is a flood coming, not a flood of water, but a flood just the same. And God is looking for Noah looking for people who walk with him. It's the reason you are here. When God created the world, he concealed his presence. That's why we call this the world of concealment. But he did not leave the world utterly devoid of revelation. He created man to bear his image, to represent him within the world. Now that's our job. We don't have to be part of the insanity. We can step outside of time and outside of the illusory world of self and form and cleave to the infinite through our Master Yeshua by practicing the presence of God. Like anything else you want to accomplish in life, it just needs to become a habit. Toward that end, we will continue to study God willing. I hope that this will be just the first in a series of teachings I'm titling Walking with God. But don't feel as if you can't get started right away. The concept is really pretty simple. Use your imagination and remember that God is always present. He is always near. He is always with you. He is always loving you. He is always drawing you closer. He is always whispering to your soul, even now, at this very moment. If you can picture that, 
and believe that and know that and maybe even feel that you're doing it you're walking with God now stay on the path take on my yoke and learn from me and find rest for your soul